You know, tonight we're going to meet together and uh, remind ourselves of just a few of the prophecies of Jesus as we have our lessons and carol service. It's wonderful where you start in Genesis and you work your way through to Revelation. And traditionally, you only have nine lessons and carols, but you could have hundreds and hundreds of different readings. But one of the readings we're going to have tonight is the famous reading from Isaiah chapter 9. Do you know how many Old Testament prophecies there are about the coming of the Messiah? Have you got any ideas? 50? Some more than that. I mean, it's, you know, because I spoke to you earlier in the week. Cheat. How many? 300. That's because you overheard the conversation as well. They reckon around 300, although some put it a lot more and some a few less, but around 300 prophecies specifically about the coming of Jesus. And this is one of them. There are over 20 in Isaiah, but if you've got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. I think it'll be up on the screen in a moment as well. Now the context of this is King Ahaz is king, 2 Kings chapter 16. And King Ahaz is worried about uh, attacks from the enemy from the north. And he has that moment where he has a decision to make. Is he going to put his trust in God? Or is he going to put his trust in the Assyrian army, which was the largest army around? And he has this kind of crisis moment where he says, now what am I going to do? And the prophets keep saying, put your trust in God. God has promised to protect Israel, to protect Judah. Just put your trust in him and you'll be okay. And what do you think he does? He makes a deal with the Assyrians. He says, you know what? The Assyrians have the biggest army there is around. And we're going to get attacked from Syria and other places and maybe Egypt coming up. Let's, let's make a deal with Assyria. And so they become what's called a vassal uh, kingdom. So they give Assyria a whole load of wealth. They strip the temple, they strip everything and give it over to Assyria and say, now we're going we're gonna to give all this to you. Now you need to come and protect us. And as history unfolds, you find that actually what happens is that after Assyria take all their cash from them, Ahaz is gone, his son comes king, the actually Assyrians come in and take over anyway. But in the midst of that, Isaiah writes this, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. Here they are living under this time of, of oppression, time of worry, time of stress. Where are we going to receive a savior. We're walking in that darkness. What's going to happen? Who knows? But in the midst of that, he says, a great light has dawned. A light has come. And then verse 6, he says, explains what it is. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In the midst of all that confusion, there is hope. 
But where does the hope come from? Well, he says it comes from a child. Now, how many times when you get into difficulty do you call on a child to come and help you? My car broke down, I explained a few weeks ago. I didn't phone up my sons, who are not children anymore. I didn't see a little kid walking along with his mother and said, Ah, son, can you come and fix my car for me? No, I phoned the AA. And if the AA guy had turned up and he was about 10 years old, I would have started to worry. One, because he was illegally driving the AA van. And secondly, because I wouldn't have thought he would know exactly what he was doing. And it must have been the same. Here's the people of Israel. They're worried about being invaded. And guess what? God's going to send a child. For unto us a child is born. In the midst of all the oppression, in the midst of all the turmoil, God sends a baby. You would much rather, wouldn't you, that he would send a handsome, strong young man like me. You know, full of vigor and energy and just, hey, I can come and sort all the problem out. An IQ of whatever a high IQ is, 280. That's seriously high, isn't it? Okay, 180. But whatever, you, you would want God to send someone like he did when he sent the prophets, to, or rather the, um, the judges, to come and send someone who would go and sort it out there and then. But here it says, you know what God's going to send? He's going to send a child, a son. And that speaks to us of such risk, but also such potential. You know, when you look into a child, when you look into a baby, what do you see? Well, you see helplessness for starters, don't you? They're just so fragile. It's like when you pick up a little newborn baby, you know, you start, you're nervous because they're really delicate and they're tiny. I don't know why I've got two hands. You can usually in one hand when it's a baby and their head's all flopping all over the place and you think, I've got to be careful here. And when you pick them up, it's so gentle. And yet within them is potential to become so much. And in God, when he sends his son, Jesus, he sends, shows the risk that he's willing to take, but also the potential, the hope that is within him. And as we come to Christmas next Sunday, we recognize both the risk that God took, but also the potential, the hope that was brought, which is why the, the shepherds and the wise men came, but also the love. You know what happens when grown human beings see a baby? They start acting like babies. They go, go. You look at Ronnie, he's there going, and Karen, the latest thing with them. Hey, she's doing it, she's doing it. And they just stand there like that. And they got me doing it. I haven't done that since I was like five years old. Okay, I did it with my kids. But apart from that, you start acting like that. Oh, she's doing this as well. Oh, this is great. You know, you see that. You see why? Because such love, such connection that you can make. When they look up with those eyes and a smile comes on their face, 
It's either that they've just done something in their nappy or they're just really happy. There's just a simplicity and a joy in a child. And God said, I'm going to send that child and he is going to have the government on his shoulders. Jesus said, right now that government is an invisible government. In Luke 17, 20 and 21, he says, you can't see it. The kingdom right now, you can't see it. It's invisible because it's inside of you. But it's there nonetheless. And one day in 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation 20, he said, I'm going to come back and then you will see it visibly. But that government, that authority, that power, that responsibility to bring change is going to be on that shoulders of that little child and that man as he continues to grow. And then look at the names that he calls them. Describes what this kingdom is like, this kingdom inside you and me, and this kingdom that is going to come so that everyone will see. He says, first of all, this kingdom will have a wonderful counselor. There will be no confusion within the kingdom of God. Why? Because the wonderful counselor is being sent. Wonderful, meaning that it's extraordinary, and a counselor that he's going to teach and guide. When you go to a counselor, why do you go? You go to receive counseling, to receive guidance and help, understanding about what you should do about the way forwards. You go to marriage guidance counseling because you want to have help in your marriage about how it can become stronger and better, or if there's an issue or a problem about how we can get over that and move forwards how we can resolve differences. And so a counselor sits there and listens and then helps you, points you, guides you in the way that you need to go. And God says, my son is going to be the wonderful counselor. In Matthew 7, when Jesus was there teaching, in 28, 29, the people recognized, he said, he's not like all the other teachers. There's something different about this guy. Why? Because he teaches with authority. He teaches with insight that we don't see from anybody else. And you remember Jesus, even as a little boy, in Luke 2, 46, 47. Do you remember when he was sitting at the temple? Even as a child, he was sitting there. And and the leaders, the religious leaders of the time were astounded by the knowledge that this boy had, the questions he asked and the insight that he had. God is going to be our teacher. He is our teacher. And Jesus said, I'm going to go up to the Father, but I'm going to send you someone in John 14. Let me read it to you. He said, I'm going to send you the Spirit of God. And what is the role of the Spirit of God? He said, the Spirit of I will ask the Father, John 14, 16, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. God has sent through his Holy Spirit the counselor to replace the counsel that Jesus gave. And that is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. He says it again in John 16, verse 12 and 13. 
I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. We have that same spirit, that same access to Jesus, to, as though Jesus was sitting right here with us. Because just as Isaiah prophesied, he will be the wonderful counselor. He will be the one that will guide us. You see, following Jesus Christ is easy. It's simple. It's just Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And as you're going, make disciples of all nations. Simple. The difficulty comes in doing it. Because every day I have this turmoil, this battle inside, just as King Ahaz did. Am I going to trust myself into God's hands or am I going to trust myself into the things that I can grab hold of? Am I going to do what God wants me to do or am I going to do what I want to do? Which is it going to be? And our battle comes not in the will inside of us. Which is why Jesus said, you have to take up your cross every day and follow. In other words, every day, say no to yourself and yes to Jesus Christ. No to what I want and yes to loving the Lord God with all my heart, soul, strength and mind and my neighbor as myself. And yes to going and making disciples of all nations. But we have that counselor that can help us as to how we do that. Do you remember the rich young ruler that came? He said, I've done all the things the law requires. Jesus says, you're missing this. Sell it all. Go. Follow me. And in that moment, he went away sad because he wasn't prepared to take up his cross and follow But we have a wonderful counselor who says, you know, it's simple. David, it's simple. Just follow me. Trust me. Trust me with your life and I will show you what you need to do. Trust me with your future. I will show you what you need to do, where you're going to go, what I'm going to ask of you. Just trust me. There's no confusion. There's no difficulty because every time I get to that point where I say, Lord, I'm not sure, I have a wonderful counselor that I can get on my knees and I ask and I say, Lord, what is it you're asking me to do? Direct my steps and that's what I'll do. He said he's a wonderful counselor, but he's also a mighty God. There's no chaos in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. Because God has defeated all that needs to be defeated. He's defeated death itself in 1 Corinthians 15. It said that Jesus came, that he died so that we might, so that death might be defeated. And that we might be victors over death just as Jesus Christ was. He says in Revelation, so that we, when we die, we know it's just a transition into something else. That death has lost its sting. It's one of the things that we will affirm this coming Thursday when we remember Bill Boyd in the funeral. 
That because he lived in Jesus Christ, so he continues to live in Jesus Christ. Death is a transition. He's no longer physically here with us, but we know that his spirit, his life continues, his soul continues with Christ. And that one day we will meet all those who love the Lord Jesus again in his kingdom. Because God said, I have defeated everything. Death, I have defeated. In Colossians 2, he says, I've defeated the law with all its rules and its regulations. Somebody once asked me, what are the rules of Christianity? What are the rules of being a Christian? And I sat there and I thought, there aren't any. Do you know that? Churches make up rules, don't they? You have to stand when we sing. You have to sit when the minister's speaking. Or if you're in the Czech Republic, you sit to sing and you stand when you pray. And It's different in different places, but we make up rules. Some are written rules, some are unwritten rules. But there are no rules for God because it's about relationships. Love God. Love your neighbor. There are no rules in that. It needs to be flexible. It needs to be fluid so that we can demonstrate love in different situations. One of the problems with the people of Israel was that they tried to form rules and regulations around love. You can't do that. What does it mean for me to love my wife? Well, I can't put a tick list down of of 10 things every day, and if I do those 10 things, I'm showing her love. It doesn't work that way because she doesn't do the same thing every single day. And so every new situation that we find ourselves in, I have to constantly be thinking, how, how can I show love in this situation? Same with any relationship. How can I show love? And it's the same with our relationship with God. How do we show love? There's no law, it says. He says he's cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or your religious festivals. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. He's saying that relationship is vital. And he is the mighty God that has won us that relationship. So there is no law, only grace. Revelation 20 says that even Satan, even our enemy, even evil will be done away with. It will be cast away one day. Now it is bound, it is limited But we still see it in our world today. Just turn on your news and it's there. Look at the pictures of Aleppo and other places. You see what evil does. But one day, one day there will be a fullness where evil will be done away with. He says, and I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hands the great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him. For a thousand years, he threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years was ended. And then you go back down to the end of that after the thousand years, 
It says, And the devil whom deceived them was thrown into a lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There will come a day when evil will be done away with. Where you turn on the news and there is only good news. There is only love that is shared. There is only victory that is shown. There is only blessing that you see. Because evil will be done away with. Won't that be a great day? You won't be looking anymore at what destruction does. What deception does. What evil does in our world. You'll be looking at what the power of God does. And continues to do. And as part of that... It says in Revelation 21, doesn't it? There's new heaven and a new earth. There's no more sickness. There's no more tears. There's no more dying. There's no more pain. The old order has passed away and the new has come. We serve a mighty God. And he will put, has put everything right. And we're waiting. We're in that period where the cross has happened. And so he has won the victory, as it says in Colossians, but we're waiting to see the fullness of it when he returns. But we stand with one who will put and is continuing to put all things right. And he works through you and through me to bring about that kingdom change. Why? Why do we know? How are we sure that he is the one that has that kind of power? Because he created it all in the first place. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were created. God has the power to bring change. And so in His kingdom, there's no chaos. There's no tensions. There's no fighting because He has brought the victory. So you worried about your future? You worried about whether God can look after you and watch over you and what the future holds? Trust in the mighty God, the one who has saved you, the one who has captured you, the one who has enfolded you, the one who has promised never to leave you and never forsake you. He said he's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He says he's also the everlasting father. Now how can Jesus be the father? Because the father is the father. Jesus is the son. But here it doesn't mean father as in father to son. It's talking about father as in the one that is the originator, the source of everything. He is the everlasting source Isaiah says it in Isaiah 40. Let me just turn there really briefly. Isaiah 40 verse 28. He says this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He's everlasting because he has no beginning and no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega in Revelation 1 verse 8. 
He is the Father because He is the originator, the source of all that is. And therefore, His promises, everything He does, everything He says, are trustworthy and true. You don't need to worry about God. You know, in in ancient times where there were the Greek gods, they used to kind of offer sacrifices to try and make the gods happy with them. Because they thought, well, the gods are, are just like we are. You know, some days you just wake up in the morning and you're grumpy, aren't you? True? You don't know why you're grumpy, you're just grumpy. You get up in the morning and you go, it's not going to be a good day today. I just know it. I can feel it. And you go about grumpy all day long. Worse still is when you were a kid and your parents woke up like that, wasn't it? Oh, mums, mums, I'm in a bit of a, a wobble today. Let's just stay out of her way. Oh, dad, he's had a bad day at work. Oh, my goodness. Let, let's just stay in our rooms. Let's just be extra good today in case... Their grumpiness and their moodiness happens to fall on me. God is not like that. God, Father. The Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He's the same. And therefore, He is always trustworthy. His promises are never going to change. When you take a promise of God out of the Scriptures and you claim it for yourself, you don't have to worry whether God is today going, yeah, but I don't feel like that today. I know I said that to the people of Israel back then, but not today. Today, I'm feeling different. We don't have to worry about that. Because God is the same. His character never changes. His love for you never changes. He's like the prodigal father that stands there at the gate, day after day after day, waiting for the son, the daughter, to return home. His love is consistent. His presence, his his promises are consistent. His promises were as true the day Jesus spoke them as they are today for you and for me. So you claim a promise out of Scripture and you say, Lord... This is your promise. You know that when you claim that same promise today, it is true for you as it was for the person that wrote it, for the person that received it. Because God does not change. His character does not change. He is the everlasting Father. He is there. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Be like God. God, when he says yes, is yes. When he says no, it's no. And it doesn't change. It's consistent. And that's the same for our Father. And lastly, he's the Prince of Peace. There's no conflict in God's kingdom. Peace is shalom. It doesn't just mean an absence of war. It's talking about well-being inside. John 14, he says, my peace I leave with you. I do not give as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's a peace that comes inside of us. It's a peace that we can have, a spiritual peace that we can gain with God. Ephesians 2, he talks about the peace that comes inside of us. The peace that we are now reconciled to God. 
because of what Jesus Christ has done. We have peace with God. Isn't that incredible? That we're not fighting God. We're not at war with God. We're not trying to appease God because we are living in peace, in harmony with God. We have a spiritual peace that gives us that kind of confidence to come into his presence. We have peace with him. We also have the peace of God. The peace of God that passes understanding. That's an emotional peace that comes within us. A deep sense of of oneness inside of us. That we're not wrestling in and of ourselves. We're not struggling inside of ourselves because we are at peace inside. We have peace with God, but we have peace inside of us. An emotional peace that we just can be still. Be still and know that I am God. You know those times where you have no peace? You're just all over the place, aren't you? I am. I'm just kind of trying to fix everything, do everything, work around everything, just going crazy in 20 different directions at once and then getting stressed at the same time. And then you stop and you say, Spirit of God, fill me again with your peace. You have to be still and let the peace of God flow in and through you. And then there is that sense of tranquility. And even though there may be chaos all around inside, inside, there is no fear. Because there is that well of peace that just knows that you're going to be safely seen through whatever you're facing. That's the peace of God that can come upon you and upon me. And then there's peace with others as well, relational peace. Romans 12, he talks about the peace that we can have with one another. Work at being at peace with each other. Romans 12, verse 10. Verse 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And down in verse 18, he said, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The Prince of Peace has come to bring you that peace. You know, Jesus came as a baby all those years ago. But in this prophecy from Isaiah, It reminds us of what he's come to do. If you've got important decisions that you need to make and you're not sure about which way to go, what to do, then ask the wonderful counselor who has promised to be your guide. Are you worried about your future? You're not sure about what's going to happen and you're fearful about 2017. And what it might bring. Then tell the mighty God. The one who has promised. To walk with you and journey with you. And see you safely through. Who has all the resources to do that. Because he has gained the victory. 
even over Satan, over death, over everything in this world. Or maybe you're drifting in your faith and you're not sure. Why don't you come back to the everlasting Father? Or you need one of His promises and you're hoping that that may be for you. And if it's in here, if it's in His Word, it's the same for you today. Claim it. Pray it. Remind God and say, Lord, this is what you have promised. This is what I need in my life right now. Fulfill your promise to me. Or maybe you're wrestling or battling with temptation. You have no peace inside because you're just, everything is too much. Then be still. And know that he's God. And ask that the Prince of Peace would again come upon you and fill you once more with that peace. I'm going to ask Ronnie to come and play. And as he does so, just something quiet. You know, God gave or loves to give gifts to his children. He says he's going to give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. And the Holy Spirit is the vehicle of counsel, the vehicle of power, the vehicle of faith, the vehicle of peace. As Ronnie plays, just be still. And whatever you need from God today, whatever you need from your Savior, Ask him. Ask him because he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace.
Lord, we thank you that you are the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We thank you that you love to give good gifts to your children. And Lord, you know what each one of us needs right now. So as we continue to worship you, not just this morning, but throughout this week, continue to give us those gifts that we need in our lives so that your kingdom, your presence may grow within each one of us for your honor and for your glory. we thank you that those words of Isaiah all those years ago were not just about prophesying the coming of you Jesus but they're words to us too fill us again Spirit of God for we ask this in the name of Christ Amen